Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Hey, uh, if you're brand new, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor. We're in a series titled Dream Again. Everybody say, Dream Again. Dream Jesus comes on the scene. He says, you must be born again. And it's this amazing statement that really what he's saying is for you to dream again, you must be born again. Because this world will never, ever satisfy your soul. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He goes, if, if I can't find anything in this world actually to, to satisfy my soul, I must be made not of this world. And really what he's saying is that, man, I, I must be born again into a whole new kingdom, a whole new uh, promise, and it's called heaven. And so heaven is not just something we get to, it's something we actually can enjoy today. And so the title of my series is, uh, is Dream Again, and the message title today is Jesus. So we've talked about Hosea, we've talked about Joseph, we talked about you the first week, um, uh, in a sense, and then also next week, I'm really excited, my, my next message will be, um, in Dream Again, will be Jacob. And so it's, it's been a fun one. But today's Jesus. So let's look in the Bible, John 6. John 6, turn your Bibles there, uh, verse 25. Now just to set it up, Jesus has just had this amazing miracle. He took some loaves and some fish and multiplied it, and the crowd loved it. Who wouldn't love it? You know what I'm saying? You're, you're there, you're hungry at a, uh, a, a you know, basketball game, and the Lord just multiplies your favorite pizza, whatever, whatever it is, okay? So you kind of understand. So, uh, so the crowd loved it. He leaves, and they start searching for Jesus. It's good to search for Jesus, right? It's a good thing. He says, when, the, uh, when they found him, verse 25, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Give her like a kind of wonder, like, I don't have kids yet, but I remember being a 14-year-old kid, and I would ask my dad like random questions before the question, you know what I'm saying? Hey, so how was work today? Why do you want to know how work? I'm just curious. Hey, can I have 20 bucks? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we, we've done this before. Well, these people did not come to Jesus because they wanted Jesus. They just wanted more food. And it's amazing to me because I think a lot of people, when they come to church, they actually don't want Jesus. They just want what Jesus can give them. Just give me my dreams and I'll be on my way, Jesus. I don't want to have real freedom. I just want to have all the things of this world. And so they come to use Jesus instead of actually come worship Jesus. So that's what's happening in this moment. And Jesus diagnoses it because he's a gangster. And here's what he says, okay? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you. I love that he didn't say like, kind of truly. He says, very truly, uh, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures uh, to eternal life. He's saying, man, don't live for things that are temporal. Live for the eternal. Don't chase after the world. Chase after heaven. So he goes on to say, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, uh, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, uh, what must we do? Uh, the works God requires. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's, how you, that's all the work you have to do in salvation, is just believe. Uh, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're trying to get that, all these things about bread, bread, bread. They just want food from them. That's all they want. Jesus said, very, very truly, I tell you, here it is. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Everybody say bread. bread. Who are, uh, anybody to the paleo in the house? Paleo people are miserable. I did paleo for a few weeks. I was reading the Bible and I realized Jesus said, I am the bread. I am the carbs. Carbs are good, okay? So if you were working out and you think you can't have carbs, Jesus says, no, carbs are good because he is the ultimate carb, okay? Um, that's, that's what I got for my word. I'm just gonna, just gonna say it. Stop being paleo that day. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
don't know about you, but man, it would, it would be the weirdest, most frustrating thing to go to a buffet and eat all this food and you were starving when you showed up and maybe at the very end of it and still be starving. It would almost mess with your mind. It would make you say, is there something wrong with me? If you were eating like crazy, but at the end of the meal, you were still starving. Well, this is what's happening in culture. Just catch me real quick. They say that 20% to 30%, depends on CNBC, Washington Post, they all do studies. They're actually starting labs called happiness labs to figure out how do we get people fulfilled? Because right now in America, only 20% of the people say they're fulfilled. That's it. And the reason why is, if I'm just being honest, it would, it would freak you out. Here's one of the, the, the state, uh, um, statements from the Washington Post. People are not content in their jobs and relationships, and depression diagnoses are at an all-time high in spite of our economy has grown every year since they've done the study since 2009. So here's more food. Here's more of the world. Here's more of the world. Here's more money. Here's more hobbies. Here's more of everything the world has for you. And at the very end of it, you go, man, I still feel so empty inside. Is there something wrong with me? Hence, everything going in the wrong direction. And so I love that Jesus' first statement out of the seven I am's is he says, I am the bread. I am the fulfillment. You've been hungry all the time. If you actually enjoy me, I will fulfill your life. You'll never be unfulfilled again. So we go to marriage to fulfill us. And then we get mad at our spouse that they don't fulfill us. They're never supposed to fulfill you. And contentment is not getting what you want. It's realizing what you have. Do you know that there's always been an eating problem in the Bible? Always. Go to Genesis. Go to Genesis. Read, read, read about Ab and Eve. God gives them everything. The whole garden. They get to enjoy their time with, with, with the Lord in the garden. And there's this one tree they're not allowed to eat from. And the enemy sells them a bill of goods that this is where you should eat. And because they eat in the wrong place, it causes this brokenness in this world. And I believe the enemy comes to us all the time and says, this is where you should eat. And you know what happens after you eat at the wrong place? The place they were supposed to have dominion over, the place they were supposed to have authority and joy and no shame, they go and hide and have shame in the place they were supposed to actually have authority over. If you have shame today, you're not supposed to have shame there, you're supposed to have authority and joy there. But isn't that how sin works? Isn't that how the enemy works? So my prayer today is that when we see dream again Jesus, it's just very, very simple. Jesus wants to prove to you that he's the best. And so over and over again, he just comes in on the scene and just shows how great he is. And I don't know how many times Jesus has to do this for us to finally go, okay, God, you're the best. I don't give you some of my life. I give you all my life. Do you want your dream today? It's not a what, it's a who, and his name is Jesus. Will you bow your heads? God, I thank you that you declare these seven I am's. I'm the bread. I am the light. I am the shepherd. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and life. All all, all of them, Lord, you're literally screaming to us, I am the dream. And so, Lord, the dream of fulfillment, may we not try to be somebody who tries to find in the world anymore, but may we find it in your word. And it's you. Oh, God, may my words fall to the floor. May your words soar. We need you. We need you. And everybody said? I don't know about you, but, man, as I've gotten older, best is very subjective. It's very subjective. Like, we were at lunch two weeks ago, and we're at Marucci's. Anybody ever been to Marucci's? Pretty good sound? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome. Nice to meet you, Marucci. Um, own it. Owner. Um, very good sandwiches, though. Very good, right? And uh, I like passion, actually. Thank you. Uh, the, I asked the first service, 9 o'clock. Anybody ever been to Marucci's? This was their answer. It's a great time. We had a great service. Um, <laughs> powerful, powerful time. Um, anyways, uh, so we're at Marucci's, and Rachel goes, this is the best sandwich. This is the best sandwich shop in the East Bay. 
And I was like, well, hold on a second. I got four people here. That's what you say. But what about what everybody else says? So, so then we just start this best conversation. Like, well, what do you think the best sandwich is? You know, Shane goes, Josh goes, and then I go, I think the best sandwich in these bays is Jersey Mike's, but that's just me. I think the best, anybody think Jersey Mike's the best sandwich? I'm by myself, okay. <laughs> I just sort of, no, <laughs> don't judge me. We're in church, okay? <laughs> Celebrate my favorite sandwich. Um, and then we talked about favorite burgers, and then I lost more credibility. Best burger? I was like, McDonald's, you know, and everybody like, ugh. Oh, you are a little too alive, okay? <laughs> it's a little too much. Uh, does anybody like McDonald's? Does anybody think McDonald's? Thank you, thank you, okay? So then I was a McDonald's best burger, and then Rachel's like, Five Guys makes the ultimate best. Who likes Five Guys? Anybody love Five Guys? Best burger. And then Muya. so we talked about Muya. I heard about this first service, I heard about Super Duper. Is that pretty good? I never heard of it today. I thought it was a fake burger place somebody's making up. So what's the name of your burger place? Super Duper. Um, I wanna be in that creative meeting, you know what I'm saying? What should we call our burger place? Uh, uh, oogly boogly. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. It's cost 20 grand from marketing department. Okay, sweet. So just best conversation happens all the time. In the office, we talk about best athletes. Darnell thinks LeBron James is the best basketball player. But he, thank you. Who thinks LeBron's the best ever? I just need to know what kind of church I'm pastoring. Okay. Michael Jordan, who thinks Michael Jordan? Thank you. I, it's weird. Michael comes up in my conversation uh, in the sermon probably once every five weeks if you're brand new. Uh, shout out Michael Jordan. I think he's going to come to Mission Church one day. Yeah. He's going to get saved, maybe get on staff. It's going to be cool. I, I got dreams. I got dreams. I got dreams. When it happens, you'll, we'll be the one laughing at you. I'm like, Michael, isn't this hilarious? Uh, anyways, some people think the, um, that Droid is better than iOS. Are there any Droid people in the house? Who like the Droid? I just don't get it. I just, I, yeah. Who's the Apple people? Yeah. Apple could do anything when you buy their phone. Anything, literally. Like, like, Droid could come out with a phone and be like, this phone prints money. You're like, I don't care, I want Apple. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this Droid will transport you anywhere you want for free. I don't care, I want Apple, you know? This Droid will give you uh, um, uh, the best retirement plan. I don't care, I want Apple. It just, this is how we're wired now. 17 years old. I, uh, I didn't realize when you make a best statement, it's, it's dangerous. It can be dangerous. I went and saw The Knight's Tale. Uh, great movie. It's still a great movie to me. Uh, and I don't know what was with me that day, but I walk out of the Knight's Tale and I start calling everybody. Call my buddies. I'm like, I just got out of this movie. It's the best movie I've ever seen. Heath Ledger, it's amazing. It's the best movie. I get calls a few days later from my friends. Hold on a second, man. Best movie? Like, it's good at best. One to ten, I give it a seven. I was like, I thought it was the best movie. Like, they play We Will, We Will Rock You to start the movie in its medieval times. Like, isn't that, it was innovative, it was creative. Who would have thought of putting, we will rock you in a medieval movie? And they're like, no, it made it stupid. I was like, whatever. Um, so that was my like moment where I just said, best. And I was with my uh, buddy, Drew, uh, in Florida just a few years ago, and it's been 20 years, and I have a handful of friends I said this to, and I was recommending a movie. I was like, hey, we should go see this. We were visiting Florida. I was like, hey, we should see this movie. And he goes, no, 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 you have no movie credibility. You said Night's Tale is the best movie. <laughs> I was like, that was 20 years ago. I can't, that, that, I, you can't hold that against me. 20 years ago, I said it was the best movie. I've got other best movies now. Braveheart's best movie. Um, um, grape, uh, grape, um, grape soda's best soda. Um, I mean, I got new best. Give me a chance, you know. But 20 years ago, it still gets held over my head that I said Night's Tale's the best movie. So that's all movie credibility. Stop. Culture changes all the time and tells us what's best. Tells us what's best for our kids. Tells us what's best for our marriages tells us what the best career is, tells us what the best income is, tells us where the best places to live is. It just tells us all these bests. 
And all culture does is fail us over and over and over again. And you would think, if somebody like myself, who can't get past a Knight's Tale recommendation, you would think culture, we would say, culture, I remember when you said that was the best and it hurt my life. I remember in college that culture would tell me that partying is the best days of my life and live this way and do these kind of things. And then I leave college and I'm like, what did I just do? I'm not listening to you anymore, culture. You've been wrong too many times. And again, I, Nancy Reagan, I think it was in the 80s, started this slogan, just say no. Do you remember this? Just say, turn your neighbor and say, just say no. Thank you, five people. Um, <laughs> here's the deal. It was a great slogan, but there has to be something to say yes to. There has to be. There has to be something to just, they said no, but there's nothing to say yes to. And I think in, in, in the church today that we're telling people to say no to this and no to that and no to this and no to that. But, but really, Jesus came on the scene not for us to say a bunch of no's, but for us to give one big yes to the best thing ever, and his name is Jesus. And so, so, so my prayer for you today Come on now, I should have, that clap was good. It could have got some steam. I cut it off. That's on me. That's on me. We were about to get rowdy. And then I just said, no, pause, double pause. Um, so we're going to look at a handful of stories. It's kind of a messier message on purpose. And I just, because I just want to, I want to, I want to brag about my savior. I want to brag about Jesus. I just want to show you moments in the Bible where Jesus would come on the scene and he would make these statements and he would do these things to show that he was the best. Because some of you right now, you think religion's the best. You think your preference is the best. You think the way that you do Christianity is the best. And when the way that you do Christianity, whatever that is the best, you've missed it. If you are not, lift, if you are not lifting up the name of Jesus, if you are not lifting up what he's done in your life, if you're not lifting up the mercy and grace in your, in your life, you are missing it. If you're talking about other things, you're missing it. Paul threw out the epistles to every church. All he's doing is saying, Jesus is the best. All the other stuff, smack down. Literally, get it out of here. It's terrible. Nothing, nothing should be even close to Jesus. So let's look at this moment. John 5, 1 through 9. Here's what he says. So Jesus is on his way to a party. So it's okay to go to festivals and parties, by the way. Uh, so he's on his way to a festival party. But what I love when Jesus is on the way, he loves the one. And you may know that our, our term is one at a time. This is one of those one at a time moments. He goes to a crowd for one person. One person. It's an amazing story. Let's see what it says. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. It's about the party with some people, okay? Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic was called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people uh, used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And wouldn't it be great to be able to identify the people that need help? Just look at that real quick. Their culture, hey, all the broken people, you sit in this circle right here. You're over here. So how nice is it that Jesus knows exactly where to go? And not only where he knows where to go, but he, he knows exactly who he's going for. And church said it's very hard to know who the people who are paralyzed. Spiritually paralyzed. Relationally paralyzed. Relationally broken. Wounded by this world. And so he comes on the scene because this man has been sold a bill of goods by culture and by religion. So for 38 years, I'm only 37. I don't know about you, but C.S. Lewis said it this way. Let's just read it. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. Have you ever tried to get over like a sin? Have you ever tried just all your might to stop something? Have you ever tried not to be angry? Have you ever tried not to be wounded? Have you ever tried to feel whole and healthy? It's not a try thing, it's a receiving thing. And this is the chasm between religion and Jesus. Religion says try, Jesus says receive. 
And you'll see this throughout scripture. The one thing, the one thing that he will not take away from Mary when Mary and Martha are busy in, in the kitchen is the one thing is she knows exactly where she's supposed to be. Not doing, but receiving. And so it goes on. All the people are in one spot. One there was paralyzed and had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I think it's a question every Christian needs to actually answer when Jesus encounters their life. Because some of you have been struggling with the same bondage, same addiction, same cycle over and over again. And I think Jesus wants to come into your life. He shows it throughout scripture and he wants to ask the question, do you want to get well? Can, can I just phrase it real quick? Do you want the best for your life? Because right now you lay in here lame and paralyzed and having some bondage that you've been trying to do on your own. I could, I could fix all of it. I could redeem all of it. Now, can you just, what an amazing picture, by the way, if I could just kind of have a step out of it real quick. The woman at the well, very famous story. It's powerful. It comes to the well. He goes, hey, you want some water? This water, it's whatever. I'm living water. The thirst that you have, that you're, you're thirsty. Again, God's always talking about thirst and hunger so we can understand really what's happening in the spiritual. And so, of course, he's the living water, changes her life. She goes from a woman who was finding her identity and fulfillment in men, which was leaving her more empty, and her fulfillment with Jesus, and then left her in a new purpose. She transforms. She becomes an evangelist, transforms the whole village. It's amazing. But this one's kind of a cool living water one, too, because this man, his whole life was told to get to the water. But living water, instead of him getting to it, came to him, and his name was Jesus. It's an amazing moment. It's an amazing picture. And some of you have been trying to get somewhere, but if you actually understood the gospel, Jesus has been trying to get to you the whole time. Literally, through conversations, through relationships, through invitations, Jesus is standing right in front of you. He is not away from you. He has been pursuing you, and all he's been waiting is, do you want to get well? Do you want what I have for your life? This is Jesus versus religion. Jesus is the best. Religion's terrible compared to Jesus. He goes on, do you want to get well? When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he'd been in uh, this condition for a long time. So the invalid replied, I have no uh, one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Reason why is culture that time was saying that if you get in the time and you're in the water at the specific time and uh, the pool gets stirred by uh, an angel that you'll be healed. Again, sold, this is where you find restoration. This is where you find actually your life could be what it's supposed to be. 38 years wasn't working. I don't know, but what you've been chasing for year after year thinking that your life's going to be what it's supposed to be. Stop chasing that and start receiving, okay? So it goes on. It says, then Jesus said to him, get up and pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Stop. It's an amazing moment. If you were in the crowd and you saw this, don't you think you'd maybe like clap and cheer? Like you'd be like, oh my gosh, this guy was lame and he's walking, he's holding his mat. Actually, the story shows us that some religious people walk up and go, what are you doing carrying a mat on Sabbath? Stealing the joy of what just happened. Stealing everything. And I just want you to hear this real quick. The history shows us that Jewish people killed Jesus. That is true. But I love what Timothy Keller goes. He goes a step further. He goes, it's not Jewish people, because there's a lot of Jewish people. Some of them didn't kill Jesus. It was a certain type of person. It was called a religious person killed Jesus. And a religious person crucified Jesus back then, and you know what they're trying to do today in the church? They're trying to kill Jesus still. They're trying to kill his message. They're trying to kill his peace, his joy, his grace. They're trying to take everything and make it about something else that it's not supposed to be about. 
Like you can go to church and somebody can get saved. Can I, can I just be honest with you real quick? Let's just talk real talk about church. This will not be our church. I want our church to offend Pharisees, to be honest. Uh, I, I feel like in the middle of service when somebody walks up and gets out, I'm like, see you later, Pharisee. Um, you're like, I'm just using the bathroom. Doesn't matter. You look like a Pharisee to me. Um, like every time somebody gets up in the middle of service, like, oh, I'm offending a Pharisee. This is awesome. So now if you're worried about using, uh, getting up, use the bathroom, you'll I'll think you're a Pharisee. Here's how we fix that. Use the bathroom before you come. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you got to think of this. So, so we'll have a service and 10 people will get saved and, and, and people are worshiping and, and people are serving and people who were, were so selfish are now serving in kids and serving instead of tearing down. People are giving for the first time. You see all these things. And at the very end of the service, there's a handful of people that will come and be like, uh, yeah, you know the way you unpacked this and you did that. Um, and you know what? This really doesn't mean any, you should do. I'm like, get out of here. This is, we're done. If this is what, this is what we're going to exhaust our energy on, on how we should do it. And here's what I mean, how we should do it. The Bible shows very clearly that those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, they'll be saved. Some people told me that we should have them come into the front of the stage and stand up and look at everybody so we know they're saved. I'm like, oh, that's, thank you. Thank you. We're doing it wrong. Now show me in the Bible where Jesus did that. My heart is that we would never make it about religion or preference. It's failed too many times for people. Religion is hurting the church. But man, Jesus, he helps the church. If it's all about Jesus, just, just relax. We're figuring it out. Can I be honest? I ask the Lord all the time, am I doing altar calls right? I don't know. I think so, Lord. I think I'm, I'm pleasing you. I got saved going like this. I said yes. And then I literally like, I got saved and it changed my life. And now I'm a pastor, so I think it maybe works. I don't know. Maybe I should have stood up in front of everybody and looked at everybody and be like, hi, I'm the new guy. Just got saved. I was a sinner, but now I'm saved. Nice to meet you. Okay. Um, let's keep going. Sorry, that was kind of a little rant. Uh, next thing, Jesus makes this declaration. I love it. Uh, and again, Eugene Peterson wrote this book called, uh, this Bible called The Message Translation. reason why his heart was is we hear a lot of different words Uh, In the New King James Version, the NLT, ESV, there's all these different translations, thought for thought, word for word. But in our modern day translation, if Jesus came today, he wouldn't talk about yoke and oxen. He would talk about cars and motorcycles and planes. God was, uh, uh, Jesus, our Savior, was the best communicator. He would teach these things called parables, short stories with big truths. He would talk to an audience and he was talking to farmers. He would use farming illustrations so they would understand it. So my job as a communicator is to exegete scripture and make it simple for you to understand. So one of my favorite things to do is sometimes to read you a message version. And the message is this amazing uh, translation that takes our amazing gift, the Bible, and makes it in a modern word verbiage. And so I want to read it to you. It's going to make sense. So, uh, Mark 8, 34 to 37. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, anyone who tends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, I will show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade for your soul? Stop. What an amazing thing he's saying. He's saying, what would it be good to get everything you want but lose actually what you need? What would be good if you got everything that the world told you to be but you became something you weren't? So you you got all the promotions. You got the title of this, but you actually lost the the identity of a son of the living God. 
What good is it to get the dreams of the world if you lose the dreams of heaven? This is the question he says. He goes, if this is going to work, I need to drive all the time. He's saying, you're a terrible driver. I'm the best driver. If I could just be honest, I, I think I'm a nice guy. I think I'm a nice guy. I, I very rarely get angry. Is Rachel in that room? How many times have I yelled in our marriage? Three, four times? Maybe a little, but I'm not like, I'm never like, I'm never like, where's, where's my coffee? You know, ah, you know, like, I just, that's, that's not me. Like, I don't yell, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I'm just, I'm a laid back. I, li- I like joy. I love laughing. So I actually, the, I think the biggest tension when we first got married is I would wake up and Rachel would be sleeping. I'd be like, I'd bring her coffee. Like, hey, I was reading today. And she'd be like, ah, I am a flower trying to bloom. Shut up, you know? And I'd be like, sorry, you know. I basically like would wake up like, you know, and that was our tension, okay? So I'm a pretty nice guy, all right? I like to think that I'm a nice guy. But man, you get me in a car and I'm driving and I get around bad drivers, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. Like I don't, I honk at everybody, everybody. Like somebody's fast, I'm like, honk! You know what I'm saying? Like all the, you can ask Rachel, it drives her nuts. I'm honking all the time at people. Somebody who's not going, honk. I don't, I'm not the guy where it goes green, honk. I give you two seconds, okay? But if it's two seconds, you better get the car moving. I'm going to give you a little, okay? Um, So two weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, we leave church and it was a really special Sunday. If you weren't here, you missed the message. It was about Hosea and the Lord was just wrecking me on really the heart that he has for me and how much he loves me and how much he loves you. God loves us so much. It's an amazing picture. But then the other part of the picture that God wants to see in Hosea is that we're supposed to go love people like crazy and that the, there's gomers out there and we got to go love them. So I get in the car with Rachel and I, I looked, I was like, well, what, oh, this was such a special Sunday. It's one of my favorite Sundays we had. And so I'm two lights in and then to the third light, this girl is in front of me and it turns green and she doesn't turn left. And I was like, did you, did you see this, Rachel? It, it, she didn't move. And Rachel's like, relax, relax. I was, like, I was like, but it was green. Like, just take a left turn right in front of the apple. If you were the person two weeks ago in front of the apple that didn't take a left, let's talk and reconcile. Um, so another green light comes. So it goes red, green again. And I'm like, okay, one time, whatever. Doesn't move again. And now I'm like, oh, okay, that's, I'm, I'm about to lean in. And Rachel's like, no, she could be like a gomer. She could go to our church. You know, it's like one of those moments. Like, we're like, don't, like, like you don't know. They, they were just at church with us. I was like, if they were, they shouldn't be at our church. It's a terrible driver. <laughs> you know, we don't pastor people like that. We, we raise up great disciples who know how to turn left on a green light. <laughs> so I'm running hot, okay? And so finally, three green lights, nothing. So finally, I have to take things into my own hand. And I go around the lady, and then I want to, oh, I want to, I want to honk so bad. I, didn't, I haven't honked at all because there was still some, some residue from the joy of service on my life, and my wife was, uh, am I right? But I did want to just make a good eye contact. Anybody else, when you're driving and somebody just ticks you off, you just want to see the face of who did it to you? You're like, and then you're like, look what you did to this. You know what I'm saying? I had a great service. I was happy. I was worshiping, and now you're trying to ruin my day, you know? So I see who it is. It was a young gal who I think she just got her driver's license. And it's a quick light. You have to, you know, yield and then take a lift. And it's one of those ones where you've got to actually turn when it's red because there, there's so much traffic. People are walking right there by Apple. Never moved. And uh, I remember us going to lunch, and I was like, man, like, golly, like, bad drivers are terrible. Just, I just, and then I started thinking of, this is what's so fascinating. God uses things when I'm actually, like, frustrated with somebody else. He, like, uses it to, like, show me my own life. And showed me that there's places in my life where there's been a green light for a long time and I haven't moved. There's been a green light to have this grace that I really want to enjoy, but I still condemn myself so much. 
And I felt like he was kind of honking at me a little bit. And if I could just be honest, the, the, the Bible says that he has turned his face upon us. Can you imagine if that girl was driving and she would have saw me and I would have just turned and say, hey, you're doing great. Hang in there. You're going to turn left one day. God bless you. Here's a gift card to lunch. Take care. It'd be amazing to see my face that way. But my face was like this. You're failing everybody in the East Bay right now. Just the whole Walnut Creek, you failed everybody. Do you, do you ever feel like when you mess up, that when Jesus looks at you, that he looks at you in that way? You failed everybody. When do you see that in Scripture? The Bible over and over again tries to communicate the face of a loving Savior that when we fail, that he gives us this, it's going to be okay, this is why I died. Tyler, the light's green. You're not stuck anymore. It's time to forgive. Let's move on. Hey, you've been trying to get over this sin, and you think once you get over this sin, then you'll be everything you're called to be. I already made you what you're called to be. You, you, you stopping one thing doesn't make me love you more, doesn't make me say, okay, now you're the best. You already are the best because I'm the best. My prayer for you is a lot of you, you're stuck right now. And Jesus needs to start driving your life. Carrie Underwood, I, I, I've used this illustration, but I just think it's perfect for today. I think I maybe have used it, I don't know. She sings this old song, Jesus, take the wheel and take it from my hands. And what Jesus is saying in this verse is saying, hey, let me take the will. It's an amazing song, it really is. But if you go to that album, like I think like the next song or one of the songs on the album is the next one is like, uh, he'll think before he cheats. And so she goes like, um, I dug my keys into the side of his pretty little souped up four wheel drive. You know, took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. Maybe next time I'll think before he cheats, you know. And you're like, you're like, okay, okay, Carrie. Okay, okay. And whoever her next husband was was like, I am not going to cheat. Louisville slugger, you know. And, and so when you're listening to her album, it's kind of like confusing a little bit because you're like, Jesus, take the wheel. You're like, yeah, Lord, like, why am I doing driving? I, I'm just, I'm terrible at my life. Like, I've made terrible, because to be honest, culture has hurt you many times. But if I'm being honest, nobody's hurt you more than yourself. Nobody's helped you back more than yourself. Nobody's punished you more than yourself. You, you're your own worst enemy. You, you, you're the one who's trying to, to, to raise yourself. You can't raise yourself. Jesus raises you. You can't forgive yourself. Jesus forgives you. And so, so you have these moments in your life. So, so you have this, Jesus, take the wheel. But then the, the next thing in your life happens, you're like, not in this moment. I'm going to go get my keys. I'm going to go get my Louisville Slugger. I got this one, God. You do a, you're doing a good job, but let me take care of this one, okay? It, it's one of these pictures that if, I, if we could look at the album of our life, every song, one through 10, should say, Jesus, take the will. And maybe seven of your songs say, Jesus, take the will. These are five things where I think that are the biggest buttons to push in church, and I'm going to push them today. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not an editor of God's word. I'm a messenger. And these are big ones that Jesus talks about a lot. Okay. So the first one, I think that some of you are stuck that Jesus wants you to move is simply this is you need to forgive. Forgiveness is not an option. Jesus literally says that if you don't forgive that you will be tormented. 
That forgiveness equals freedom. That if, literally the way we pray, forgive me the way I forgive others. Throughout scripture, forgiveness is one of those ones that you are stuck at a light. You are stuck at a place that is already green. Jesus' blood covers it. He will redeem your heart. But you can't forgive that person because you just think, you know, God, I get it. All those other ones, I get. But this one, let me take care of this one. I'm going to hate that person for the rest of my life. I'm going to hold a grudge for the rest of my life. I'm good, God. I want to read you this real quick. Here's a question for every uh, angry man and woman that needs to consider. How long are you going to allow people you don't even like, people who are no longer in your life, maybe even people who aren't even alive anymore, to control your life? You're at the light. And you're thinking of that person. You're so mad at them. They're not even around anymore. They don't even know where you're at. And you're letting them control the way that you actually enjoy life? It's not a question of how much forgiveness they deserve. It's a question of how much freedom do you want? You know how bougie it is to have a driver? So bougie. We were talking about dreams in the car. This was probably about five months ago. And I thought it was so funny, and, and I kind of laughed at it at the time. But I asked Shane, like, what's something that you'd love? He's like, I'd just love for somebody to drive me around everywhere. That's, that's the dream. I was like, that's the dream? He's like, yeah, like if I could just have somebody drive me around. Like I, would, I was like, and at first I was like, eh, it's not that big a deal. But then I remember us going to Europe, and we had a lot of like Uber, like personal drivers for where we were going. And I was like looking around, Europe, and I was like, Shane's on to something. This is the greatest life ever. Like you enjoy because when you're not driving, guess what you get to do? You get to enjoy the people around you. You get to enjoy the scenery. You get to process a little bit more. You're not focused on all the chaotic things. And so when Jesus says, Give me the wheel, he says, just forgive me. No, he says, he says, forgive me. Uh, he simply says, You start forgiving and enjoy the journey on how he gets you to freedom. I'll drive you to freedom. But you gotta start forgiving. Next one is serve. Jesus simply says serve. We live in a very selfish consumer culture, and we're too busy to do one of the greatest things that God said we could do to be great. You don't have to be great to serve, but you got to serve to be great. Everybody's like, well, I'm not good enough to serve yet. No, no, no. That's not how it works. You don't have to be great to serve, but to, serve, to be great, you need to serve. It's a very small little nuance. And what I mean by that, the Bible says those who serve will be refreshed. I don't know about you, but I don't need a lot of refreshed people. Those who serve the right things. You serve the wrong things. Here's the deal. Well, I serve on Sunday, but I'm burnt out. It's because you're serving something else way bigger. There's something else first in your life. Sometimes people, like, they get this chasm like, well, I serve at church, but after four months, I was so tired and worn out from serving. Oh, show me your schedule. Oh, so you serve twice a month for two hours at church, and that's what destroyed you. Mm, let's, let's look at your, let's, let's, let's have real talk real quick. How about you serve the master of money and the master of promotion and the master of hobbies and the master of expectation and the master of this, and that's actually what burnt you out. That you served five other gods and then you gave the God two hours and you blamed him for it. God cannot be mocked, you reap what you sow. You need to serve God first. He is the most important thing in your life. If Jesus is not first, and when you are doing your calendar, when you are doing your time, if he's not first, I, I'd be a terrible pastor for you to walk out of here and think, okay, if I just serve God for an hour a week but do everything else still and have all the same gods and all the same rhythms, I'll be fine. No, you will not be fine. You'll be burnt out and you'll be angry. But if you put God first and you allow him to actually orchestrate your life, you will not be burnt out. You will be fulfilled and you'll be refreshed. But for some reason, you've been deceived and you think that's the farthest thing from possible. It is possible. Three more. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Faithful. Faithful. It's a big one. And people are, are just, they're really hard to have them commit to something. We even do our small groups for seven weeks because we used to do small groups for a, like just like into perpetuity. 
And pe- or you know, even like tw- 10 weeks or 14 weeks, and people are like, whoa, that's too long for me to commit, man. 14 weeks, I got a life to live. And so we do them seven weeks. And then if I'm being honest, even for seven weeks, it's hard to even be faithful to a seven-week small group. Love what my wife said today. You, you want the pecs without the push-ups? You got million-dollar dreams, but a $100 work ethic? You got all these things, but then you actually can't be faithful to actually what God calls you to be faithful to. If you allow Jesus to drive your life, he will calibrate you every day. And you'll know what you're supposed to be faithful to and what you're supposed to say no to. But we say yes to the world, and then Jesus gets our scraps. A way to say faithfulness is simply this. is Faithfulness is actually putting the right things in your life in the front of the line. Four and five are almost done. You need to get in community. You need to get in community. I don't have time for community. Well, then you don't have time for your dreams. I don't have time for community. Well, then you don't have time for fulfillment. I don't have time for community. Well, then you don't have time to actually become everything you're called to be because God wants to use community to develop you. And last but not least, this is a, 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 a nice button. You know that we've been... Uh, going to church for a year and seven months and I have preached about money zero times because the knock on the church from when I started going is the church wants your money. Jesus wants your soul. He wants to save you. But there's this thing that the Bible shows that selfishness is not good for your soul. That if the one thing that he talks about that would compete with him was the spirit of man and the spirit of money. And it's the deception that money could give you everything that God could give you the deceitfulness of wealth. And one of the ways that you put finances in check, one of the ways that you literally get this thing really, really clean is when you start actually to give of the things that God's given you. I literally feel like there is a string connected to the wallet and the heart when we pull out the wallet. You're like, you can feel like, ah, everywhere. When you're buying something, man, money is not God. It is a means to an end. It is an amoral thing. It can pay for a house. It can pay for this, but it does not satisfy you. God calls you to give. I want us to have a generous church. And if Jesus was driving your car, he would drive you around and say, hey, we're going to be generous today. We're going to look for somebody to be generous today. And when we find them, we're going to give. Hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna build uh, the kingdom. We're going to give the kingdom today. You know, they actually do st- studies that when people start to give, it's the number eight of, of the uh, things that people need in their life. They call it transcendence. That when people actually give, there is an endorphin that's released that makes them feel good. God created it that we would be givers and that it would actually bless our soul, that we would feel good about it. There is no endorphin for keeping. There is no endorphin for selfishness. Let Jesus drive all five of those. And I'll just give you this little uh, tip. This is the way I, 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 I process this when I was in my life. Give Jesus 40 days. I was going to say a year, but I feel like that would have tuned out everybody. <laughs> give him 10 years of your life and just see what happens, okay? Uh, I'm good. Uh, 40 days. 40 days for him to be first for 40 days. 40 days of him driving. 40 days of him being the best thing in your life. Not only saying it, but you actually believe in it. Give him 40 days. And just see what your life is like. You give the world years, why not give Jesus 40? Just an idea. The last point, very simple. So I love about the Lord is, he doesn't just give us a task of how to live our life. He actually empowers us to be something that is not of this world. And here's what I mean by that. I used to think that Christianity was a lot of trying, a lot of, if I could just do this and this and this and this and this, and how do I do it? God, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I, I remember I love people 
for the first six months of serving at church when I first fell in love with the Lord, and then I hated people the next six months. And I found out that I couldn't love people in my own strength. I found out my first year of youth ministry, I wanted to quit and just go be a high school teacher and a college basketball coach because ministry was so hard. And I realized I'm not gonna be able to do this in my own strength. And so I really just started reading God's word and you see throughout scripture, there's this, this term that we use, the spirit of God. But the scripture really unpacks it as pneuma and ruah. It's the breath of God. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. It empowers us. It says in Ephesians, to be filled with the Spirit throughout. God, Jesus' last command of the church is wait for the Spirit. Wait for the breath of God. And watch when the breath of God comes on the church. It will never be the same. Some of you have been trying so many things. Some of you just need to pray this. Will you send a fresh wind over my life? I'm going to show you a picture. I feel like you're not getting it real quick. Man is created by the breath of God. Noah is on the boat and the dove goes out to find new land and the word is ruah. It finds the new land, the new promise. The breath finds the new promise. The Red Sea blocked. It says that the ruah, the breath of God split the Red Sea. It even says it came from God's nostril. I just think that's kind of gangster of God, like from the nostril, you know what I'm saying? Boom, Red Sea split. I, I, you know, you got a picture. I mean, God's funny. You got to get a picture of that in heaven. He's like, I'm about to split the Red Sea. How are you going to do it? Watch. Boom. Done. Okay. This is what breath, 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 breath. The church is birthed. Breath of God. And then you want to get past things that you never could get past. And you're trying to paddle across the Red Sea. And God's saying, let me breathe past the Red Sea for you. Let me separate it with my breath. You're saying, I'm trying to find my promise. Let me use my breath to lead you to your promise. Oh, I want to be everything I'm supposed to be. Let me use my breath to let you be everything you're supposed to be. It says this in Isaiah. you got to catch this. This is a powerful picture. So many of you are trying to do your own strength. It's not by your own strength. It's by a spirit. But they who wait for the Lord, they wait for, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Man, that's the dream. To rise up, to soar, to not be weary, to enjoy life. How does that, have you ever seen an eagle fly? They wait on these things called thermal currents. Some, a different kind of wind, a different kind of. And when it comes, they could even wait up to three days sometimes. But when it comes, this is what they do. Yeah, I'm a gangster. I'm an eagle. I don't even flap my wings because there's this current, there's this breath that's under my wings. They say the eagles, they have been tracked all the way up to airplanes. Can you imagine flying and an eagle being like, hey, what's up, man? How'd you get here? Thermal current, you're welcome. This is an amazing picture. God, God loves using the physical to show us the spiritual. Catch this. How did you become so joyful? How did you get to those heights of joy? breath of God. I just surrendered and said, you're the best. Breathe on my life. How did you get the marriage that is not of this world, that is above all marriages? How did this happen? Breath of God. It's the Holy Spirit. I didn't do it in my own strength. How do you love people the way you... You're going to get asked those questions, but there's a lot of Christians, if I could just be honest, you're not an eagle, you're a hummingbird. <laughs> Okay, I can just do this this week, and then I'll, and I'll, okay, we're almost at church. We're gonna cruise into church, and we're here. I did it. I'm at church. 
All right, for the next hour, I'm going to calibrate. I love you, Jesus. Okay, I'm going to go raise my kids. <laughs> and then for another week, you're just burning out, flapping everywhere. That's going to end up on the blooper reel. Like, <laughs> Too many Christians are doing it in their own strength. Hummingbirds live for a few years. That's it. Because this will exhaust you and you're done. Eagles live for years. 20, 30 compared to three. You may be burnt out because you've been flying wrong. Jesus said, let me be the breath in your life. It's the Holy Spirit. Let me breathe. Let me drive. Let me shock the system and show you I'm the best, not religion. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.